G'day everyone, my name is Tom Craig and you're listening to my podcast, The Help Side, where we speak to some of the most recognisable names in world hockey and get an insight into who they are, what they're about and what makes them tick. Now if you like what you hear, feel free to follow our socials at The Help Side on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. We'd absolutely love that. This week, we're speaking to former Kookaburra Tristan White. Tristan, or T-Dubs, is without a doubt one of the toughest competitors I've ever played with or against. In this interview, he speaks about how his ambition was to be a player who you hated to play against but loved to have on your team, and I can definitively say that that is exactly how I'd describe him. I've got a lot of respect for T-Dubs and the way he goes about his stuff, both on and off the field, and his combative playing style, for mine, put him near the top of my list if I were to choose my most prized teammates. Hailing from country New South Wales, T-Dubs debuted for Australia in 2011, and by the time he retired in 2018, he'd notched up 102 caps for the Kookaburras. But the thing that sets Tristan apart from other international centurions is the way he went about his business as a Kookaburra. Unlike many who wear the green and gold of Australia, T-Dubs chose not to live in the Perth training environment, and instead decided to continue to live on the east coast of Australia in order to pursue both his career as a mortgage broker and hockey. You'll hear Tristan to be a brilliant exponent of a balanced lifestyle, guiding us through how he was able to maintain a pretty normal life all the while playing for his country. But things haven't always been easy for T-Dubs. Indeed, in 2016, he was selected in the Rio Olympic team, only to have this opportunity ripped away from him in the cruelest of circumstances. And he speaks openly about both the incident and the fallout. Tristan's story is a different perspective on how playing for your country might look. And the way he approaches the game from a mental side of things is truly fascinating and well worth remembering. So, let's go. Here's the help side of Tristan White. I don't even know what episode we're up to now. I'm going to stop doing that. With Tristan White, who's joining me from, it looks like his wife's studio, Massage Parlor. Is it that is. right? It, it is, it is. I mean, uh, the only quiet room in the house. I mean, the kids aren't here right now, but um, they, I think, will be shortly. So, uh, <laughs> just going to hide out here at the front of the house. Yeah, okay. Wait, kids, two kids. Two kids now, mate. Yeah. Um, I've, yeah, got, got, a, got a two-year-old and a, and a nine-month-old. So um, you might not have heard about the nine-month-old one, mate. Um, she's a COVID baby. Like, so no one really knows her. She's just been pent up in the house. But um, yeah, we're, we're super busy with that now, obviously. Um, takes up most of my time. Um, and then I devote a, a bit of my time to work and a bit of my time to, to hockey. Um, but yeah, it's 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 full on here, but with all good things, so I'm stoked. Yeah, okay. so pretty balanced lifestyle. We're gonna get that into because you're a great exponent of the balanced lifestyle and have done things pretty differently throughout your career with Kookaburras. But let's talk about work real quick. What do you do? Uh, I'm a mortgage broker, uh, so you know, home loans, investment property loans, things like that. Um, pretty simple, mate. Yeah, we we are in a pretty good part of the world. Um, kind of. Good jobs, good credit, um, good properties. So I'm really lucky, and I kind of fell into that um, after missing out on on the Olympics. Um, obviously, I've got a background in finance and did that at uni. But yeah, this is just something that I that I've fallen into, and I really I really love, and um, can see myself doing it for a long time in in Wollongong. Yeah, when you say missing out on the Olympics, we're going to get to that later because I'm not sure if that's yep. the, the technical the technical <laughs> term for it, but. Um, We'll get to that. All right. So we're going to go straight back to the start. Um, people see you as a, like you're 
one of the patron saints of Wollongong hockey these days, um, and of which there are a few. It's a it's a very proud proud part of the world as far as hockey is concerned. But it didn't start there for you. It started in Wagga Wagga. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, most of the time nowadays I'd refer to myself as being from the Gong, um, but it did start out in Wagga. Um, we uh, that's where I first started playing. Um, we moved around a bit with my mum's work when I was really, really little and then kind of ended up in Wagga um, from about the age of, of four, um, straight into Wagga, straight into playing hockey and every kind of sport that I could get my hands on. There wasn't much else to do out there, um, but it was a great kind of breeding ground for sportsmen um, and I would just find myself, you know, playing one sport on the Friday Arvo, another one Saturday morning, hockey all Saturday afternoon and then something on the Sunday as well. So. I think that was kind of a big part of my me, you know, becoming a sportsman or an athlete. That's pretty much all I wanted to do. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much Wagga in a, in a nutshell for me. And we, we got out of there. Well, not got out of there. It's not a, not a bad place. But we moved out of there um, to Wollongong, where most of my family's from. Um, I've been here since I was about 13 years old. So that's a fair while away now. And that's why I call uh, Wollongong home. Yeah, okay. And we know hockey is a very much a family-oriented sport. I, I take it your mum must have played. Yeah, mum played. Um, and then I've got some, you know, some aunties and uncles and, and cousins and, and that that naturally played. Um, so my mum and my uncle and auntie actually started the, the, local, comp, um, the local club here uh, in Wollongong. They started the University of Wollongong Hockey Club. So, Seriously? Um, Jeez. Yeah, so I'm pretty pretty proud of that. When they when they're at university, they kind of got together and went, "Hang on, we we all play hockey. Let's kind of start our own start our own show." And that club has been going for about sixty years now. So that's um, sorry, fifty years now. I'm showing their ages a little bit longer. Um, <laughs> uh, wow. Sorry, it's a little bit. It's actually, it's actually a little bit less. We had our team of the fiftieth. Century, but we're not quite that old yet. But um, so they they started that club when they were at university, and um, there's a funny story. When I moved from Wagga, um, one of my good mates from here, Joshua Anderson, who's also a hockey player, he played for another another club here, Ferry Meadow. And I said, Mum, I'm going to play with Josh um, at Ferry Meadow. And she said, No, you're not. And I said, Yes, I'm choosing where I play. I, I normally would choose what I did. Um, I'm that type of guy. Uh, and she just said, Look, you don't understand. This is our family club. I literally started this club and. <laughs> Still didn't understand it at that stage, but yeah, now you, you see the history in, in the club and um, yeah, obviously mum's a life member there and um, has put a lot of time and effort um, into the club. So naturally that's what I want to do as well. Um, and I've got a really good good club there and we've had some good success and they've kind of, you know, obviously helped me out with whatever I needed to. So yeah, University of Wollongong Hockey Club. Starting a club is a big call. Talking of dynasties, like... Um... That's a big. That's a big club. I, I I assume that it always existed and will always continue to exist, but that's quite the quite the honour. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it, it is quite a, quite amazing. Um, it will it will always exist now. I can definitely tell you that. But yeah, back in back in the day, it didn't. Um, uh, and that's probably just because there wasn't that many clubs around here. You you generally find a lot of the a lot of the hockey families and even some people that um that you know. Um, like Jack Hayes, his family had a bit to do with his local club, Albion Park, down here. So that's kind of how the, the club associations were born um, out this way. And, and they're all going from strength to strength. Like I said, we, 
we're pretty proud with hockey where we're from. We have a lot of successful players, um, some that are currently playing, but also lots that have played before. So, um, yeah, for Mum to be a, a part of that and starting that up is is something that I'm pretty proud of, and I I know she um, would be proud of that. Although she'll she'll kind of always shy away from it. Um, but yeah, that's the origins of, of her starting the club, and and it's just where she was from. You know, she grew up grew up in Wollongong, and that's where the majority of our family is, and it's just kind of a natural progression that um, that's taken place. Gotcha. So from club hockey um, in your juniors days. You obviously represented a, a fair few state teams along the way. Are you the sort of person who made every state team they ever tried out for, or? Uh, yeah, I, I did. I did. I, I did every age group um, basically. So, you know, I think we started out um, playing in the schoolboys, um, the PWSA New South Wales team. So I played that for a couple of years, um, and then just yeah, you know, I was pretty lucky. Um, Although we didn't have, I didn't really have the strongest age group, to be honest. We never won anything. <laughs> um, so if I wasn't making it, then, um, yeah, I would, probably would have been surprised. But, yeah, so I played all the way through um, up until kind of um, 21s. And, and 21s and 18s are where you got to play up with, with some of the older guys and, and really got exposed to that kind of good hockey. So I remember playing um, under 21s in Darwin when I was, I was 17. So Kieran Govers got injured. Um, I didn't didn't try out for the team, didn't really know what was going on, but um, because he got injured, they gave me a call and said, "Hey, do you want to do you want to come up here and, and maybe play?" Um, took me on as a reserve, um, and I went up there thinking I was just going to get a, a bit of a holiday, and, and they might sneak me into the pub every now and then. But <laughs> um, yeah, it eventuated that I had to play pretty much every game, um, and from there I kind of got I got a bit of a break into the Australian team, into the into the junior squad from there. So again, that was something that was quite lucky. Um, but it was all because of that exposure and getting to play with those those older, more experienced guys. Um, as you know yourself, it's a big step up. Um, but getting to do it when there's kind of no pressure on you, um, that was that was probably pretty useful for me. Yeah, we speak a lot to country um, country boys who who end up playing for Australia or country girls who end up playing for Australia. And the, I feel like a lot of the time it is because they're kind of playing up from from a young age. Do you reckon that? Because you're quite a. I mean, if I were to ask to describe the way that you played, a lot of it would be physical um, and perhaps even <laughs> in, intimidating at times. I remember the first time I ever played first grade. I think um, I didn't even know you at all. I don't know how you knew my name. I don't. I'd like I, I knew who you were. But we'd never had a conversation. Oh, you were the superstar, mate. The first, the first <laughs> words that you ever said to me, like I think I just mistrapped it over the sideline or something like that. And I'm like five meters away. You're you've got the ball on, on um on the sideline. And I remember you just eyeballing me and saying, "You'll get it, mate. You'll you'll get it, Tommy." I was like, <laughs> what, yeah. "What did I do to deserve that?" <laughs> but but back to the back to the question. Um, growing up in a in a kind of country centre, playing up a lot. Do you think that that contributed to the way that you you play yeah definitely um and i'd probably like to say uh, that i didn't say that but i, I know i would have i've had plenty of, i've had plenty of guys come up and kind of and kind of say i did that to them when they were young um but yeah that, that's that was probably just part of part of playing um obviously a few different sports but also having to play up and having to kind of show your stuff and show you can still kind of be there. I was always copying that as a young guy, especially mm. in Wagga. Um, you know, I'm, I was playing 
pretty much top level when I was, you know, 12, just before mm. I left there. Um, and naturally they'd want to get into you because you're the young guy and um, I'm not the type of guy that would back down from that type of stuff. And I think because I was used to doing that, um, I kind of went, well, hey, this works because it used to scare the hell out of me. Um, so why not, why not, why not use it? Um, and in your particular case, mate, I think I would have just identified that there's some young bloke that's going to come up and um, be better than me and going to chop me up. So I better do something to delay that process. And, uh, yeah, I'm not <laughs> sure about that. Pretty much my tactics. That's really funny. I, I, I reckon it does. Um, do you reckon it's kind of like a trial by fire thing? Do you remember when you were younger ever kind of having that kind of intimidation thing and there was either a walk towards it or walked away, walk away from that sort of pressure? Well, I mean, in Wagga, a specific um, incident, it's probably not something that you do want to see on the hockey field, but I just remember there was an all-in punch-up. Um, I was 12 years old in a second-grade game and everyone, they're all men, just started running towards it. And I thought, oh, here, I'm going to go and run and do something as well. And one of the old blokes just picked me up by the collar and, and dragged me out and just said, mate, what do you think you're doing? Um, <laughs> There's no way, there's no way you're gonna you're gonna have any impact here. But I just kind of thought, well, if I'm here and I'm playing, then then I'm in. Um, and that's kind of what I what I expect from people that are that are playing with me. Um, also played a, a fair bit of um, kind of Aussie rules growing up as well. So country Aussie rules is is just a fair bit of um, intimidation. Um, you know, the the bigger the bigger kids. If if you weren't one of the big kids, you had to be one of the faster kids or the tough kids. Um, and, and I probably learned that from a young age when I wasn't such a big kid that I'd, I'd need to be tough or, or fast or athletic. Um, and luckily I got a bit bigger when I was older too and could, could combine those. Yeah. Do you think a lot is said around kind of international hockey about um, a lot of national teams kind of emulate the, the dominant sport in their area? Like we talk about, you know, the Spanish and how they, they play kind of like a football style. Um, and people often kind of talk about that with Australia, Aussie rules, rugby, those kind of like contact abrasive sports. Do you reckon there's something in that? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. I always kind of think if you're either you're either a really skillful player um, or you're not. And if you're not, you're going to get beaten unless you can bring something else into the mix. Um, luckily, in Australia and playing in Australian teams, we have we have both, um, and that's probably why we've been so so dominant. But for me, I was never that really skillful skillful player um and we just used to obviously playing football but everyone around here watches footy and goes well that's just how you act you know you you, you really got to get into your opponent to try and get one over them um and in terms of like just going into each contest as hard as you can never being like never giving in never never relenting um i think we definitely get that from from contact sports and we're probably lucky um to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of the way some of the Europeans play, um, although they are super skillful. But yeah, it's, it's, it, is, it is an interesting clash of styles when, when they want to play that nice free-flowing um, and Australians want to get out there and just mix it up and get a bit physical and make sure that we, we negate that. So that's why you have different styles of, of international hockey, I think. Gotcha. We're going to go back to your teenage years now. Um, Obviously, a lot of people who get selected in the New South Wales Institute of Sport, they, they move to Sydney. They're from a little bit further away. But you're kind of in that position like many people, um, Flynn and Ogilvy, we've had on the show before as well. You kind of live close enough to Sydney to come and train, but it's still a bit of a mission. And I can imagine you would have been in the institutes during your high school years. And um, how, did that, how did that kind of work? Because it's a, it's a 
fair mission to drive up to Sydney after a big day at school and balancing everything else in your life. Yeah. Yeah, it is tricky. Um, basically, I delayed it as long as I could. Um, so I wasn't in the Institute until I was about 17, actually. So I, I was in kind of pathway programs and would get invited to train a, a bit here and, now, here and there. But I actually didn't physically and properly join them until I was 17. And um, so it was it was difficult. Obviously, I waited until I got a license um, and had a lot of guys around here that I could... Um, get help from so obviously Kieran Govers was 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 here at the time we used to do a lot of our training together locally um a lot of our gym stuff which was pretty much just beach beach weights most of the time um but you know he was a good mentor for me and took me up to, to a lot of the trainings um to be honest I probably wasn't very good with N-Swiss um I kind of saw it as something that I didn't really want to do at the time because of that extra burden um, and looking back on it, up, yeah, maybe, maybe there's something that I could have could have got a bit more out of in the early days um, because I did have some some great coaches and some great resources there. Um, yeah, that's probably just partly me thinking that I'm going to do other things, um, which which I did. But um, yeah, it, it was quite tough, kind of joining that and really getting into the rhythm. Like over the however many years I've been in N Swiss, to be honest, I've, I've probably only ever attended kind of fifty um, percent of the of the sessions, which, um, yeah, def I definitely would have got more out of it if I went more, but, um, that's just the nature of where, where we're kind of located and probably the nature of me and how I approach it. Yeah. So with that, obviously there were, there were other things to kind of fill your time and we've spoken about the balance between, um, you know, hockey and, and life. And I think the one thing that I would say about you for sure is that it's definitely, you know, your typical prototypical, elite athlete mold i mean you have a very kind of broad view of the world and what what works for you and that sort of thing and it sounds like that was a an attitude that you've always kind of had can you talk to us a little bit about that yeah definitely i i, I did i think it's i think it's evolved from um you know the things the, the things outside of hockey have evolved um and they're probably more um there's probably more substance to them now obviously having a family and kids and work Whereas back in the day, it was um, I just wanted to to be social and hang out with friends and and do all those type of things. Um, but probably a key one for me was I really saw myself as as trying to have a career outside of hockey. Um, and instead of instead of going down the path of playing hockey first and then worrying about the career later, I wanted to flip that on the head. I wanted to make sure that I had my career or, or my university finished um, before I really like tucked into the hockey and really really had a dip um yeah and to be honest i'm not sure why i know some guys are really successful in, in just going hard out at hockey and having a really successful career and then being able to to get something on the back of that that they're successful at but that's not the way i saw it for me um so when it came time to you know be going into the institutes and trying to um go and train with the national teams and the junior teams and stuff like that i actually i actually kind of pulled out of a lot of those and, and just said, well, hey, I'm going to finish my university first um, and really get that behind me. And then from there, I'm kind of happy to to go and really have a dip. Um, yeah, which which kind of made it tough. Um, but it worked out in the end, I think. And, and I'm, I'm really happy that um, of what's kind of gone on and then I've, I've been able to build up that kind of stuff behind me. And now I've got a pretty pretty successful and, and pretty fulfilling career and pretty fulfilling life outside of that. 
Um, I think the, the biggest kind of benefit of doing what I did um, wasn't so much on the hockey side. I definitely missed out on some of the hockey things, but I missed out on less of the, the personal things. Um, you know, I mean, you know yourself being over in Perth, um, having to leave your family and friends, it is a big sacrifice and it is worth it for, for the things that you get to do. Um, whereas I kind of looked at it the other way sometimes, the years that I wasn't there and the years that I left and potentially should have been there, um, I was enjoying what I was doing back home. So I was sacrificing those things and that worked for me. Um, you know, it doesn't work for everyone, um, but I, I really feel like I'm pretty happy with how it all kind of panned out for me. Mm. Talk to us then about, because you've played hockey from when you were, what, three years old and your mum was involved with hockey and that sort of thing. And obviously you were very good growing up. Did you have aspirations to play for Australia? Absolutely. When I was, when I was a kid, um, four, four, five, six, um, you know, right through to kind of 10 or 11, I, I basically told everyone I was going to play for Australia and I was going to play in the Olympics. Um, and I used to have posters of all the players on the walls. I was lucky enough to meet a few, a few of the, a few of the players. Um, I remember Michael York used to come out um, and do some training camps out in Wagga and he'd stay at my house. Um, and I just thought that was the best kind of thing ever. And I wanted to be like them. And that's pretty much all I was going to do um, from a very young age. So it's funny when you get a bit older um, and you almost, you know, go away from those things you wanted to do. You know, in my, during my teenage years, I almost rebelled against that and said, well, yes, so, so what? Do I really need to do that? Um, but it was always in the back of my mind. It was always something that I, I knew deep down that I wanted to do. So when I got the opportunity, I, I was stubborn a little bit in wanting to do my own thing. But I, I really thought that, hey, this is this has been his burning desire for me since a young age. So let's let's go for it. And I'm very happy I did. Now, if you missed it last week, we had an all-time interview with former Kookaburra Nathan Eglinton. Here's a peek. I get asked often by friends that may be not involved in hockey, like, is the Olympic gold medal the defining moment in my life? It's insignificant Mm. when it comes to drawing that up alongside losing my mother at age 10 and then having this incredible child that is one of an absolute zillion you know, like that, that is the defining moment in my life because losing mum changed me, changed the direction of my life. And then I had Stella and it makes the gold medal, you know, I never, I never shy away from the responsibilities and the significance of the achievement, but in terms of me and defining me as the person, like that's down the list, I think. Mm. I remember I, um, I was listening to a, a podcast with Kurt Fernley. Um, and he was talking about he he grew up way out west and it was a small country town and he really felt that the the community banded around him and I'm sure in that community they really felt like he was each of their son you know like everyone everyone loved him and um, he was he was so overwhelmingly loved and I remember I'll have lifelong memories of Stella was always on someone's hip around training she was either on the pitch or she was on Matt Goad's hip or she was on your hip yeah. or she was on Jeremy Hayward's and she was really part of the team, frankly. No. Like she was everywhere. And, and she's no she's no different now. She's she comes to coaching with me in the afternoons. I pick her up from school and she wants to go and she walks up there and she's got all she's got all the 
like the kids that she knows and she goes up to them and holds her hands and wants to warm up with them and stuff like that. And mm. it's one of those places, even when we're in Perth, but and, and now that we're back here, that it's a bit like when I send her to school that when she's at hockey, it's one of the rare places that I don't have to worry about her. That was Nathan Eglinton speaking on our last episode of The Help Side, and it was an absolute ripper. So make sure you go back and have a listen. But for now, let's get back to Tristan. And that chance came in 2011. Do you remember the circumstances surrounding that? No, I don't actually. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. Then, then where are we going to go from here? <laughs> um, well, 2011. Um, so... We, we went to, I went to the Junior World Cup um, in 2009 and I thought I was pretty good there and, and that was kind of the first step until you're going to go into the next senior bit. But after that, I kind of saw a lot of the guys um, from my Junior World Cup team, um, you know, Matty Swan or Matthew Swan, Kieran Govers, um, Tim Bates, those kind of guys getting called over into the national program and and I wasn't at the start of it. This is about 2010. And I just thought, well, maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe there's, no, there's no kind of hope for it. Um, and I turned my focus to university. Um, and so 2010 was my first year at university. Um, 2011, I was obviously at university. And that was where my focus was. My focus was being a uni student and having fun in Wollongong as a 21-year-old, um, which, was, which was awesome. Um, and to be honest, I can't even remember the circumstances of me, of me getting this call up. Um, so obviously it wasn't, wasn't a massive big aha moment and um, light bulbs going off and, hey, this is it. Um, I've got a feeling I just would have got a call from maybe Rick or one of the NSWIS coaches at the time saying, we want you over here. And I kind of scrambled it together and, and got there and trained. Um, I was, to be honest, I was probably pretty reluctant at the time because of everything else going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you actually moved to Perth because yep. you actually moved to Perth and you spent, what, a year over there? I spent about nine months there, yeah. So um, that, was a, that was a tricky kind of time. Um, obviously, the Olympics was the year after. Um, they dangled the carrot, to be honest, and said, look, you know, we want you over here training with, with the squad, you know, we've got this big goal that's coming ahead of us in a couple of years. You're a chance for it. Um, I, like I said, I think that was a carrot and I, and I pretty much knew that, but I thought, hey, this is this is something too good to, to pass up. Um, and it was a great year, you know, that I got to experience being, being on, on the edge of it, I suppose, but I still got to experience that kind of full tilt towards um, an Olympic preparation. So... That was a pretty intense year for me. Um, I had a lot of ups and downs, to be honest. Um, you know, patches of that I was probably training well and, and playing well and patches of that I just wanted to get out of there. Um, and I look back on it and it was a super rewarding year. And um, when it got to the end of that year, I obviously wasn't in, the, wasn't in the mix for the Olympic team, which I never thought I, I would have been or should have been. Um, but, yeah, it was still an amazing experience my first year over there and um, being in the RAS. But obviously someone who's so clearly attached to, to Wollongong and, and the life over there um, mm. must have been tough at times. Oh, yeah, massive. Um, so I, one of my housemates in, in Perth um, was not a hockey, not a 
you know, not a serious hockey player, um, but and a really good friend of mine. He always used to just used to just say, like, mate, what are you interested in? Are you interested in playing hockey for Australia or going home and partying with your mates? Uh, and and it sounds kind of bad when you put it that way, but yeah, it was really tough at, at times. Um, just knowing what was going on at home, and it's nothing special to be honest. It's just twenty-one-year-old guys, and you know, just doing their thing. But I kind of really valued that. So at times it was it was quite tough, and it made it hard. And probably, yeah, that probably weighed down on my decision not to stay the next year. Mm. Um, but yeah, to be honest, you just got to you just got to pull through that. And I think if I hadn't went through that experience, um, I wouldn't have ever went back. So I knew that I could do it and I knew that there was that kind of, there was both sides of it. So I really enjoyed parts of it and I didn't enjoy the other parts of it. And that was probably when I thought, well, hey, I'm going to, if I can, I'm going to be here when I need to in Perth. Um, but when I don't need to, I'm going to get home and um, I'm going to try and, you know, do my uni or, or push my career forward or just, you know, spend time with my friends and my family and my girlfriend. Um, yeah, that was probably the, the switch for me. Uh, tough question now because um, you've spoken about like going home and partying as a 21-year-old. Once you'd made the team, like, and that's what you did, you did kind of head, you lived in Wollongong, but you'd come over for camps and you'd come over like pre-tournaments and you'd go away in tournaments. So you're still representing Australia, but also living back in yep. Wollongong and everything. Did you have to make sacrifices? Did life change for you back in Wollongong once you'd, once you'd actually debuted for Australia? Yeah, so I debuted... Um, Late 2011, um, I just played a handful of games at the end of the year. So um, then they picked the Olympic squad and I went home during 2012. So 2012, there was no pressure or no additional training. I came back into the N-Swiss environment. Um, but there was, I wasn't a, an Australian squad member at that stage. So there wasn't the kind of extra stuff. Um, but 20, the end of 2012, um, got to play in the Champions Trophy. Uh, and from there, I was I was in the national national squad, and I did stay um, in in Wollongong for a little bit after that. And basically, that was when I had to make the the biggest sacrifices. Um, so definitely wasn't um, you know partying or lazing around as as much. Um, training was was pretty serious. Um, and to be honest, I've always liked the training aspect, um, especially the physical side of it. So I was really into into my gym work and my fitness work at that stage. Um, the only thing that was probably difficult about it was was the hockey due to the commute. Um, but I was playing a lot of hockey. So when I'm in Wollongong, um, I'm training with two clubs, I'm training with N-Swiss, and I'm playing two games of hockey on the weekend. So I always used to kind of have these little arguments with the coaches and they say, are you doing enough? And I say, well, absolutely. I'm probably doing more than, than what's going on over there, be it not at a higher level. But I always felt that uh, what I was doing here um, in terms of hockey and in terms of fitness and training was enough um, and that you know warranted myself doing that so yeah in terms of sacrifices during those during that period I didn't see it as a sacrifice as much so that was when I was kind of starting to shift my focus um, I was almost finished university um, and kind of seeing the light at the end of the tunnel there and then I was going well yep once I'm once I'm finished this hockey's hockey's the goal yeah, okay. And that we can't talk about, we can't just reference in passing the 2012 Champions Trophy without talking about it a little bit more specifically. I spoke to Kieran Govers about it before in a prior episode, yep. but that was one of the greatest um, 
tournaments I've ever I've ever seen. Um, there were two absolutely brilliant games against the Dutch in that. I don't know what happened for the rest of the tournament, but these two games, it was a nil-all draw and then there was the, the extra time. Um, yep. Kieran Gubb's wonder strike. Uh, exactly. And there's brilliant footage of your mates must have gone down and watched um, in Melbourne. There's great footage of you, <laughs> of you rushing up to the fence and hanging onto the net and about being mobbed by about 30 guys who looked like they'd enjoyed their day. It was just classic. Can you talk to us about that tournament? Yeah, so that that was my first major tournament. Um, and yeah, that was when I kind of saw, mate, I can have a dip here, you know. It's, post-Olympics, so that's when they start to kind of shift the squads and get new guys in. Um, and that being a major tournament, you know, the Champions Trophy is one of those really highly held tournaments. Um, so when I got my, my shot there, I went, okay, this is this is going to be a big thing. And that tournament just did, it lived up to all the hype. So home tournament in Melbourne, um, Victoria and Melbourne, it's just so great for sport in general, but for hockey, um, they're amazing. They always put on great events. Um, to be honest, that's the, the biggest crowd I've ever kind of experienced, um, definitely at home, but I probably think ever in terms of, in terms of hockey. Um, and the way they embraced it and really got into it as well was amazing. So um, the round games, I, I just remember it, me thinking that I'm, I'm up to my eyeballs in this here. Like, this is really, really hard. This is a step, this is a step above. Um, but I was super lucky, obviously, being... Um, in that in that Australian team, so it's su- it's such a great team. So if even if you're a pretty good player and you get slotted into that team, you, there's not a whole heap you need to do. Um, you know, they, things get looked after around you. So I was really lucky in, in that regard. But I still remember thinking this this is just a, a step above. And remember thinking, is this what all international hockey is like? Um, and to be honest, it, it's not. <laughs> um, you know, you, you play some series that aren't quite as aren't quite as big or, or maybe not everyone's there. Um, but those games were, were crazy. Um, yeah, the, the Dutch game, obviously. But um, another game that was that really sticks into mind was the, was the Pakistan game. Um, and I've got a photo of it. Um, the, the boys from my clubs, they, they like to put this up as our, like, kind of our group chat messages a lot and, and things like that. Um, I just remember... There was, a, there was a bit of a stink um, with the Pakistanis, so they're quite aggressive. Um, a few little kind of dirty tactics were getting thrown around by both sides. Um, and I remember at one stage, there was a bit of a push and shove. Um, and I went, oh, I'm going to go in here and do something here. And so I ran in and then ended up grabbing a few guys and was pushing them around. Um, and I turned around and none of my teammates were there except for Kieran. Uh, so it was me and Kieran Govers surrounded by about six of the Pakistan players, all with their sticks kind of pretty close, pretty close up to our heads. And I just went, well, this is, um, yeah, this is, this is pretty intense and this is another step above. So that's probably something that stuck out there um, for, a, for a funny reason, maybe not so for the, for the hockey reason. But um, onto that final game, um, that is the best game of hockey I've ever been involved in. Um, and when I say involved in, I was, I was a rookie. Um, we did play rotations in those days, but I, I think Rick might have shaved my rotations off. So I wasn't <laughs> on the field a whole lot. Um, but I just remember the atmosphere, you know, that you had Jamie Dwyer, Mark Knowles, um, just leading the team around, Eddie Ockenen, and just going up against this Dutch team who probably thought that was it was their year to win it. Um, you know, we... 
we've had such success with the, with the Champions Trophy um, as Australia. And I think they thought that was their time. They were, they were looking really good and had, had probably their, their best squad um, that they could. Um, and they really gave it to us. Um, and it took, like you said, the, the wonder strike from Kieran um, at the end there. Uh, and good and pass, the rest though. is kind of history. Yeah, good pass. Good pass. <laughs> I, well, before, before that, I remember it was extra time and I came off the field and, um, and the coaches said, oh, you're next to go on for the rotations. And I said, no, nah, I'm not going. I can't. I'm not going on. Like, put someone else out there. I'm not, I'm not doing it at this time of... Um, at this time of the game and they just said well tough mate you're out there this is part of the rotations this is how it works it doesn't matter if you're a rookie and and yeah got out there Eddie Ocken and razzle dazzled um, I think he chopped up about six of their players on the sideline and um, they left me Mark, they left me alone in the middle of the field which is probably tactical because they weren't worried about me and yeah um, I just I don't remember it happening um, I just remember Kieran scoring and yeah, we, we carried on a bit. Um, and lucky I had about 20 mates for that were down there for a Bucks party. Um, that just made the atmosphere a whole lot better as well and got showered in beers and, um, yeah, had a, had a pretty, pretty good time. So sick. I can't, like, that, that really surprises me, um, knowing you now and, and having started playing with you when you're a little bit older and more experienced. It does surprise me that you, you didn't want to go on in that extra time. Yeah, I mean, I definitely... I definitely am a different player now. Um, and I, I kind of, sometimes I wonder, imagine if I knew the things I know now when I was that young. Um, but it's not possible to do that. I think you've got to learn in your own way. Um, and I definitely wasn't kind of measured or calm or, or super confident. Um, I was a bit of a hot-headed at times. And, yeah, it's, it's just one of those things that I've developed over, over a period. Um, and it's funny when people kind of say they, they call me the old the old dog now, or or say that I'm you know, the, the daddy, as <laughs> you guys like to say, um, because it, it definitely it definitely wasn't something that was was natural at the start, um, but something I kind of learned out of necessity, I think. Yeah, gotcha. We're gonna fast forward a little bit because um, between 2012 and 2016, you played a fair bit of hockey again with your commitments in Wollongong. I think you must have started working during that time. Yep. Yep. So you didn't go to every tournament. How is that kind of relationship with the coach at that stage? Because obviously you've you've got through uni, um, but now you're in the workforce and you're trying to balance a boss and you're trying to balance a head coach. How's that work? Uh, well, the work I was doing um, was quite flexible, so I was pretty I was pretty lucky there. I could kind of go whenever I pleased. Um, so it definitely wasn't the, the boss or, or, or the work commitments. It was probably more myself if I felt like I wanted to, to stay or, or, or do something else. Um, look, managing it with the coach was, was quite tough. So those, you know, the, the coach at the time was, was Rick Charlesworth. Um, you know, what, probably one of the, the greatest coaches that Australia has had and he's really highly revered. Um, and he's, his method is not for everyone. It definitely wasn't for me. Um, and we probably butted heads a little bit, um, especially over those kind of issues, but um, we somehow made it work. And, and to be honest, he, I mean, for all the, for all the extra pressure that he put on, on not only me, but on all of us. Um, and for all the, the, the fight back that I kind of, kind of gave to him, that probably, that probably meant that 
by the time it got to, you know, 2015, 2016, um, I was actually a much better player um, because, I'd, because I'd said my piece, he'd said his piece, we'd butted heads a few times um, rather than, you know, him just saying this is how it's going to be and me going along with it even, if, even though I didn't want to. I felt like I was, I was kind of growing as a, as a person, as a hockey player, um, even if it wasn't exactly what the coaches or, or what they wanted uh, me to do. Yeah, that's interesting. Can you explain a little bit about like, and this this would manifest on the field as well, or more just life? No, no, not not on the field. Um, yeah, just just in life. So, um, Rick was always wanting me to do more, um, as as a good coach should. You know, he always wanted you to be comfortable in the uncomfortable. Um, really wanted everyone kind of be striving, you know, to to be better all the time. Um, and I wasn't really wired that way <laughs> during those years. Um, when, when I was on the field and when I was doing what I was doing, I 100% want to win everything I do. Um, I, when I'm on the field, I, I don't take a backwards step and, and things like that. But um, where I f- did find it hard was, you know, whether I committed to, to a training or whether I committed to going to a tournament um, and things like that. So that's where we kind of butted heads, but never on the field. On the field, he was always really supportive. Um, and I think the only reason we did butt heads was because he, he thought I could probably do more and he was, he was probably right at times. <laughs> what about um, relationships with the, with the team? Because obviously the majority of the team um, lives over in Perth and is training hard and you've got, you've got other, other things that um, take up a, a big part of your life over in the East Coast. Mm. How did team dynamics come into it? Was there ever... Yeah, talk about that. Uh, I, I think, um, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. No one's ever really brought it to my attention that they had issues with it. There's a fair bit of trust that goes into those teams. Um, even though there is, you know, 30 trying to, trying to make the 16 or the 18 team each time. So there is a lot of competitiveness, but there is, there is a lot of trust. Um, and I never really felt that, that anyone kind of, didn't like or didn't approve of what I was what I was doing at home because I always made sure that when I got there I was I was ready and I was never falling behind um, and I don't think there was really any stages where I where I got to Perth or I got to a tournament and everyone went far out he's he's behind the eight ball here mm. um, everyone kind of knew what they got with me especially in terms of the the aggression and the physical side and and really wanted to have a dip so um, that's kind of how I want to play hockey and want to be remembered as um you know someone that if tristan's in your team you feel comfortable and you feel happy and and you're probably pretty happy that he's not playing against you so (laughs) that's that's always kind of what i what i work towards and when i got to perth and and would would rejoin the team i just went kind of full throttle and made sure that they knew that um even if i wasn't training with them recently um but i didn't do anything that needed to be done when i was on the field That's it for part A of this two-part episode with Tristan White. Stay tuned for part B. I'll see you soon.